This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I kept mentoring kids and, and helping them become interns at Nike, eventually get a job at Nike. And to see the, the look on their face, emails from their parents thanking me for giving their kids some guidance because they would have ended up in the wrong place. That reminded me why I got into this in the first place. That 17 year old moment when my mother told me that I could be anything I believed that I could be. You are listening to Change Lab, conversations on transformation and creativity. I'm Lauren Buckman, president of Art Center College of Design. Like most artists and designers, Dwayne Edwards identifies as a dreamer. But dreams like clouds often change shape the longer we look at them. Not so for Dwayne, who envisioned great things for himself at a very young age and went on to achieve them all, and then some. He reached for the sky and touched the stars. Dwayne has a lot in common with Michael Jordan, his former boss. His appetite for excellence has propelled him to superlative success. Duane turned his childhood passion for drawing sneakers into a high-flying design career, moving from LA gear to Skechers, and then eventually landing his dream job at Nike's Jordan brand. Duane's designs have, in total, earned over $1.5 billion. But Duane was determined to leave a mark on the footwear design world that couldn't be measured in dollars. As one of very few black leaders in his business, he saw an opportunity to create a pipeline for diverse designers. Duane quit his job at Nike to launch Pencil Footwear Design Academy in order to build career pathways that didn't exist when he was coming of age. Pencil is now an established force in footwear design education providing a host of immersive programs in partnership with Art Center and other institutions. The results speak for themselves. Pencil has had a hand in training over 500 footwear designers working today. In 2019, Art Center awarded Duane an honorary doctorate degree in recognition of his vast contributions to design education. Please enjoy my conversation with Duane Edwards. I want to hearken back to your very moving and very powerful commencement address in April of 2019 when you received the honorary doctorate. And you began with this wonderful photograph, I recall, of this young young man, young boy, beautiful shot. And you referenced yourself as a dreamer. And I wanted to start with that. Why did you characterize yourself that way? And what does that really mean to you? Well, I mean, that is part of I think my self-reflection of growing up in two different environments that were not the greatest as far as neighborhoods and cities and always wanting to to be somewhere else. And so my my dreamer part of my my existence is more around wanting a better future for myself, um, at that time wanting a better presence for myself, and then looking at what the future could be, only because what I saw directly around me, um, even though it was my normal, people saw it as something that kids shouldn't have to go through. And so I, I say dreamer because I, I've always found myself just imagining greater things for myself. And that really kind of kept me sane and, and that kept me somewhat focused on 
getting out of my city alive and, and wanting to have a better life than what I currently had at the time. And when you think back on that, what did those dreams look like? What form did they take? Uh, I discovered that I had the, the gift to draw at, at a really young age. And I also realized my, my two older brothers also had the same gift. And they would, you know, see me doodling and, and playing around. Um, and, and then they would start showing me different techniques and ways to, to draw as well. But they weren't pursuing that as a, a way out. Um, they had other jobs and other things that they were doing. And, and so for me, that was, that was my escape. Whenever I had a blank piece of paper and a pencil, that was my escape. That was my, my moment where I could disappear in plain sight and, and reappear on paper. And so mm. for me, it was, it was really whatever I was feeling at that time. And um, a lot of it was sports figures. So I would draw my, my basketball heroes and my football heroes and imagining myself as, as one of their teammates. Um, and so I would draw myself next to them. Um, so I would, I would use my paper as my escape. And that was where my dreams became visually real because I was able to see them. Um, but I still didn't know if it was possible. So that access of the dream, that access of those images, the use of the drawing, the tapping into your inner life was a, such an important, sounds like a very fertile kind of world for you as a kid. Can you talk about what it looked like when you imagined a future? You know, what's interesting is I never looked at it as the future. Now I'm thinking about it. I, I looked at it as my present. Like, this is where I want it to be right now. I, I didn't really have a grasp of of the future really beyond. I knew I wanted to play professional sports and I, I knew I wanted to do those things. But I saw it as my present day self. Um, and, and I think a lot of that was just some of the conditioning that I grew up around, not necessarily in my household, but just in my community of, you know, if you're if you're a black man growing up in Inglewood in the 80s, getting to 17 or 18 was a win, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so that was that was my reality that I saw every day. And so for, for me, I, I just didn't try to look too far. Um, even though, and when I say not look too far, I always saw myself at the age I was, um, but doing these things that grown people were doing. <laughs> I never saw myself as an adult, a physical grown body. Um, I just saw myself as the age I was and, and want to do these things that adults did. Um, and, and I think I still do that to this day of when I craft things that I'm working on. I, I see it through the lens of my now my 17 year old self where this is if I was 17, this is what I would want to do. And this is how I would go about doing it. When you spoke at the commencement at Art Center, you were incredibly generous with your willingness to share what that world was like for you. And I think it would be really interesting for the listeners to hear about that a little bit. To whatever extent you're comfortable, this powerful relationship you have with your mother, your experiencing of family tragedy right. and the way you sort of moved your way through that. And I just wanted to invite you to talk a little bit more about that because clearly it's so significant for what comes next. Yeah, you know, I don't see myself as um, different or special. Growing up in the, in the 80s, like I said, growing up in the 80s in Inglewood, it was um, at one point, the most dangerous city in America. Um, but that was my normal, right? So I didn't necessarily see it as bad. I knew it wasn't good, but I didn't see it as bad because that was my normal. And to be raised by my mom, um, single mother of six, and for majority of my life, I can only remember her as being disabled because she had probably 15 different back surgeries over her, her time, yeah, her time on this earth. She taught me some, some really important lessons of, she never complained, you know, she never complained about her issues. She always made a way. And so I, I grew up with this, this mentality of not having an excuse for anything. Like I wasn't gonna feel sorry for myself um, because I, I see this woman every single day who takes care of six kids by herself being on disability, um, but yet, it, you know, we lived, a, we lived an amazing life. Um, and once I left her home to go to school, nothing bothered me really, because even though there was catastrophe around me, 
I was just more of the the no excuse type person, where it's like I, she's she's the most tough person I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, these dudes with, with guns and knives and other things like you need a weapon to be tough. Like here's this here's this lady at home who bent over and, you know, she's she's not complaining and she's in horrible pain. So for me, it was it was really kind of taking that strength from her and, and understanding, you know, life is not going to be fair. It's not going to do the cards that you feel it should deal you. But you have to make you have to make the best with the with the the hand that you're dealt, and and that's what I learned from her, the probably the most. Um, and then just you know having my other brothers and my sister in the home, and seeing how their lives evolved and grew, um, and and then you know tragedy starts to happen, and you know my 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 second to oldest brother Michael passed away. Um, who was one of the two brothers that taught me how to draw and, and was also born with the same gift that I was, I was born with. Um, you know, that really woke me up because I was drifting into this world of, Hey, I'm going to be a professional athlete and hanging out with the wrong folks. And Michael's passing really kind of made me understand how short life really is. You, you, you see it every day on TV with, gang violence and things but until it hits home you really it doesn't really sink in but again it was it was again it was a wake-up call for me to start start figuring life out because it's not going to be guaranteed to you and and that's when i really start to get heavy into this idea of of drawing and being an artist um i didn't know what design was um it wasn't talked about in my community it wasn't talked about in my school and being an artist was not a cool thing to be, right? Where if you grew up playing ball and, and with, with people and, and gangs and, and doing all these other things, like if you say, I want to be an artist, you know, they'll look at you like you're a square, you're a nerd, right? Like, so I had to hide some of that to the outside world, but it was always there. And that was, like I said, that was mm. my escape. Even, even in high school, that was my escape. Um, and uh, I found this this escape, this other escape, and just sneakers. And I started customizing shoes in high school just because I didn't want to be like everybody else. I want to be who I was. And um, so I would I would go get white shoes and go to, at the time, there was a store called Builders Emporium. It was before like Home Depot and Lowe's. He knows everything. Um, and I would go there and get some duct tape and some exacto blades and some shoe dye. And I would just come home and customize my shoes and, and go to school with, with shoes that no one had on. And that made me feel a certain kind of way because that was, when you're young, that's your feet are your mode of transportation. <laughs> like you don't have a car. So that was, that was your whole, that was your whole existence in a lot of ways. And so once I started to see the response people were, were giving me for having something new and different, that just got me hooked on this idea of, of creativity and, and, and being more artistically inclined because I was actually able to show them my artistic ability through an object that they all perceived as cool and relevant. Clearly, I, I was struck at the, you know, as I've heard your story over the years, but also what you're saying now is so powerful. The strength, the, the force that these family members carry in your life now. There's another figure who emerges as really significant, and that's Robert Greenberg. Yes. And I'm curious to know, and I think the listeners would really enjoy the story of what it was to go to LA Gear and to find this important figure and what it meant to you and what it still continues to mean to you. Yes. Uh, Robert Greenberg is, um, I would say, outside of my immediate family, my first kind of mentor. And also, I would say, besides my older brothers, a father figure as well. Um, and, and really, quite honestly, the first time I had real interaction with people outside of my own race. And that collision came about where after graduating from high school, not knowing what my life would look like because I was, we didn't have enough money to go to college. You know, when, when I did want to go to college and have those ideas about it, I wanted to go to design school. 
um, or art school. And, you know, my, my guidance counselor was like, you know, no black kid from Inglewood would ever become a footwear designer. Why would you ever consider doing something like that? Right. Where, you know, I, I, I understood what she was trying to tell me, which was, hey, you know, just get a good job and get out of the city alive. But to crush a kid's dreams like that at such a young age, um, it, it had such a tremendous impact on me. And, and it still to this day has an impact on me because I, I spend a, a lot of my time trying to inspire people to understand what their dreams are and, and then to try to f- create a, a roadmap to help them follow them. But after after graduating from high school, I ended up just getting a job at a temp agency filing papers. And um, I got an assignment to go to L.A. Gear. It's this footwear company. Um, so I go um, and here I am at a footwear company. And for the last seven years of my life at that time, I was drawing sneakers. And I'm like, well, it's not Nike, but it's a footwear company. Let me see if I can get a job here, even though my job was to sell papers in the accounts payable department. Um, so I, I basically I did that. Um, I was in accounts payable and, and about a month into the assignment, the company was going through a reorg and they put these wooden suggestion boxes in every department um, looking for feedback and ways to improve the company's morale and just improve the company's business. And so I, I saw this as an opportunity for them to look at my ability as uh, an artist. And so I would put sketches in the suggestion box every day um, on a three by five index card. I would wake up and uh, I would get in a half hour early, put it in the box so no one saw me do it. Um, and sometimes I would put them in other departments boxes as well, um, just so they wouldn't all come from one place. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be clever thinking that, you know, they can monitor what department the, the suggestions are coming from. What was on these cards? It was my version of what L.A. Gear sneakers should look like. So they were drawings. Oh, they were physical drawings of sketches of, of sneakers, sometimes in just pencil, sometimes in color. But it was just my version of what I felt the company should do. And again, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. You know, I was I, I knew I, I, I love sneakers. I would get the East Bay catalog and draw my versions of Nikes and Jordans. Um, and, and then, so I just started designing LA gear shoes and put them in the box, did that for six months straight every day. Um, and, and one day I get this, this page over the intercom system. It says Dwayne Edwards report to the president's office. And I'm just like, man, like I'm just filing papers. What did I do so bad filing papers that I have to go talk to the president and, and so I go in and, and the first thing I do is apologize to him. And it's like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry for whatever I did. <laughs> um, uh, but he was like, no, you know, I, I want to talk to you because I heard you're the one who's been putting these sketches in my box. And he had all 180 of them um, on his desk. And I was like, man, OK, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to do that. I just I love to draw. And I figured I would give you, you know, the company a good idea, maybe. Um, and he was like, no, thank you for doing this. Uh, I appreciate and value kind of your your passion and drive and, and commitment to doing something like this every single day. And he, and he offered me a job on the spot as an assistant footwear designer at the age of 19. And that was Robert Greenberg. That was Robert Greenberg. And um, to this day, you know, well, because of po- the pandemic, I didn't get a chance to see him last year. But prior to the pandemic, for the last 30 years, I would see him every every year um, and thank him for giving me an opportunity because he didn't he didn't have to do that. Like he didn't know who he didn't know me. Um, he he never even been to the city of Inglewood before, uh, but he 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 knew that. Um, I guess using his words, he he knew that there was something in me that he needed to see more of. And so for me, I just spent every day of my career just thanking him mentally, just so he knows that he didn't make a mistake and, and that he would give that same opportunity for to someone else at some point as well. And this is what I find so striking, you know, this rich inner life that you clearly have and you carry these important figures internally, it seems, and yeah. they're with you all the time and you conjure them and they seem to give you enormous strength. Yep. Your brothers, your mother... Robert Greenberg, and I'm sure there are others. Yeah, I, I do. Um, 
I do have a lot of quiet conversations with myself. <laughs> uh, and um, but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I never really thought about it that way, but I do I do carry them. You know, when when I have three, my, my mom and both my brothers pass, and I feel like they've they're they're with they've been with me ever since they passed. And a big chunk of what I'm doing is just what they never got a chance to do. And so I take that on as as responsibility for for just carrying on and and, and trying to just trying to make sure that they're proud make make sure they're proud of me and, and make sure that they're proud of what the results are of, of all the things I've been trying to do. Powerful, this powerful shoe. It's pretty serious. Light gear by LA Tech. Things an upper class of sneakers on the court. That is real cool. What have you thought of this? Some big college AAA masters degree <laughs> having. There must be some brainy mugs. If people start having too much fun with this, they're gonna ban it. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta own the light if you wanna own the night. As the president of an art design college, I am working every day to the education and the teaching of people who are interested in art design, obviously. And it's an interesting contrast, I think, to your experience in the sense that you are, quote unquote, a self-taught designer, though I think we can right. break down really what that means a little bit. But it's a kind of contrast between self-taught or creating your own world that way versus school taught mm. in some way and wondered if you would talk to me about that and what that means because what i'm interested in getting to is really how education can best serve our communities and how we need to start thinking about it maybe in different kinds of ways yeah you know starting from robert i've always had mentors and i don't know if i would say self-taught i just didn't go to college but i had what I would call teachers around me the whole time, being other co-workers. And when I was working at LA Gear at age of 19, I was learning by doing. I didn't have the time to do the theory of anything. Like I had to consume information and apply it immediately. And then that application turned into a physical result within a month or two. And so that became addicting. It became very addictive to learn something or being challenged to do something, then execute against it, be able to bounce ideas off of people who know how to do it. And then, you know, in a few months, see the physical result of what that effort was. Being able to get that at a really young age, I would say it fueled me even more to want more and, and to work harder because it was instant results. It was, I didn't have to wait, right? And, and I think, you know, looking back on it and, and being an educator now, I think that is part of the struggle with school and education right now. It's too long. It takes too long to get a physical result. And, and so I think the way I learned is the way that kids want to learn more today because our world is more instant. It's, it is more instant gratification. Some of it is too fast, right? Where I, I do believe you have to earn earn things that you that you get. But um, I would say the difference between the way I learned, which is learned by doing and, and then having a physical result show up in, in a short period of time, that makes you want to learn more. Like you don't want to go home. Like you don't want to leave that consciousness of creativity when you can you can work hard and see a tangible result of that effort in a shorter period of time. And then, oh, by the way, I was getting paid for it too. <laughs> so like, like that, that to me was, that was, that was the perfect environment for me. That was the perfect learning environment for me. And, and once I carried on through my career, it started to change, um, you know, start to evolve and the, the results became longer and, and working with people. And, and then it became my job to start to teach and mentor them. But I think that the differences between education now and, and the way I learned it was more instant. It felt like I was more in a trade school, even though I had a real job. Like today's equivalent would be a trade school. And just a point of clarification on what takes too long. What do you mean by that? Like, what's the delay that you're specifying? There? So for me, I think I was I was the same as any kid graduating from high school. I had a little bit of talent. And then obviously with education and mentoring, you develop more. I was developing in real time. I was learning in real time. 
And, and when I say real time, I was given a real project that I had to perform on where it was almost like I was playing the way I, and learning at the same time. And uh, I, I think the, the part when I say take too long is that when you're working on a project at a company, you have about a month to get it done. Um, and then in about three months or two months later, you see a physical result of, of that effort, right? So, and you can hold it. And I think the way that education is now, it, it needs to be revised where I think the kid needs to come in with a greater expectation of what they want to be and what they want to do, uh, a better understanding of self and how they want to get there. And then education needs to condense the learning and really keep them in this focused learning creative environment, go hard, and then you see a tangible result for going hard. I mean, it's so interesting because as you explain your experience, what I'm thinking is, my God, he's using the exact language we all use to talk about what our fundamental philosophy of education is at Art Center. Good. I get your point now about the delay. It's really an urgency that comes from being an industry that you're talking yes. about, right? Yeah. And we certainly, and this predates me by decades, Art Center was always a learn by doing, or what we now call a kind of make to know. Right. There's no theory, there's no conversation. Here's the brief, here's the assignment. Start making. Right. Right. And that's the way for you to start knowing. That's the way for you to start learning. That's the way for you to start figuring out what it is you want to produce. That's the way for you to start accessing who you are. Correct. And a kind of self-discovery that comes along yes. with it. So actually, it's a, the parallels are pretty interesting there. Yeah, that, that's what's needed. I mean, especially now, these kids' attention span is super short. <laughs> and, um, you know, they, they, they may have the energy, um, but they lack the professionalism and the maturity to finish the rest of the job, right? So as, as much talent and effort you wanna put into something, the rest of the person needs to be developed more than that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, what, that's what I'm seeing more of. And, and I think what, what was different for me was I had to grow up early. I mean, I lost two brothers before I was 19 years old. And you know that makes you realize life is, <laughs> is short and you need to figure it out faster. Um, and, and so I think my, my, my maturity was there because I had to grow up faster. Um, so I had more of a sense of personal urgency to be a mature adult so I can, you know, afford to, to make a better life for my mom as well as my family. So I think my maturity was different, but the thirst for learning was off the charts. What is sneaker culture? <laughs> that's a big, that's a, those two big words, man. Um, just because it's different. When, when I was doing it, when I got into it, there was no such thing as a sneakerhead or a sneaker culture. It's, it evolved into people having a love for a specific item that you wear. And you were, and it represented who you are as a person in a lot of ways. And it was, it was a reflection of your personal identity. And in some cases, it was your mode of transportation. And so there was a certain pride associated with having certain things on your feet that made people jealous or envious, or even just made you walk better, walk more proud. You know what? What my friend Sean and Dee would say: walk good. Right. Like you, you, you walk different when you have on a new pair of shoes, your, your whole everything changes. It's almost like you get this gravity that starts at the bottom that goes through your whole body. It just changes everything. I know exactly what you mean, and I have a particular memory of that as a child. Yeah, it, it changes everything. Um, I think today, though, it's evolved into a ugly business, to be honest with you, um, because what was so pure and authentic has turned into a capitalistic opportunity 
for for brands and, and people to try to take advantage of these kids who um, don't need a new pair of shoes every week. <laughs> uh, that because you know shoes are dropping every week or every other day. So I, I think it's evolved into something different than what it, it started out to be, and and I think that's unfortunate. I understand the business part of it for sure, but I, I just think that. You know, it, it has an opportunity to teach you a lot of lessons and um, I think is being diluted. Let's go to your days at Nike. And I would love for you to talk to me about Michael Jordan <laughs> and how working with him impacted you as a human being, as a designer. You know, if anyone has seen The Last Dance, um, specifically episode seven, you probably had a love-hate reaction to it, to him because of his competitive nature, his competitive drive. And to me, that just brought back so many memories of the lessons that he taught without him having to say any, not having to say anything. And his level of commitment to his craft, to the point of trying to become a master at it, it, it was addictive. And being able to work with him and, and see it in real time it makes you work harder. It makes you think differently. It gives you a different um, point of view of, of what creativity and design should be because the same way he pushed his teammates, he pushed us as, as brand employees because we knew we couldn't show up with something half-assed with, with Michael. Like we can't show up with something that wasn't our best effort to present to him. So it became, for me at least, it became more of a game of, all right, how, how am I going to show him something he doesn't know anything about? You know, how am, how am I going to push him instead of him pushing us? How am I going to push him? And I remember this one project specifically we were working on, and um, we have to present to him um, the concept. We never showed drawings or samples. We had to show that we had to present the idea first. And if the idea did not resonate and connect with him, we had to start all over. Right. Um, and, and so this one time I remember I wish I could have taped it, <laughs> um, but we I presented to him. Michael was very competitive and my goal was to try to beat him. And, and so I presented him this concept. And then the first question, the first thing I did was I put on this this old school hip hop track called um, I Ain't No Joke by Rakim and Eric B. I ain't no joke. I used to let the mic smoke. Now I slam it when I'm done and make sure it's broke. When I'm gone, no one gets on. Cause I won't let nobody press up and mess up the scene I set. I like to stand in a crowd. And when you, when you hear this song, you know what it is in the first few seconds. And so when I played it, he started to smile. And then he, he started to sit up. And, and I started to smile. And then I asked him, I said, when did you become a master? And he sat back. And he got mad because he knew that he was on the defense at that very moment. I had him on the defense and he was like, what do you mean? I was like, when did you become a master? When did you become the best? When it, when were you, when did you realize you could do whatever you wanted to do whenever you wanted to do it? And he paused for a good minute and he just started to share when his whole world slowed down. Hmm. Um, and he, he, he knew the exact game. He knew who he was playing. He knew who his opponent was, where the whole world slowed down, where he was moving. He was the only one moving at full speed. Everyone else was moving in slow motion. But he, he said fundamentally what his goal was every single night was to be the best whenever he was on that floor. And he broke the game down in quarters to the point where he was like, look, I didn't look past the, the, the time that I was on the floor. I didn't look past the second quarter or third quarter or fourth quarter. He said, my goal was to to make sure that someone who was in the stands seeing Michael Jordan for the very first time got their money's worth and they remembered being here. And he said, so whenever I was on the floor, my goal was to be the best version of me at that moment that I could be. And if, if that was eight points a quarter, if that was 10 points a quarter, whatever that number was, that's, that was the end result. Um, and he said, so he, he ultimately made the game come to him. That's where I've related to design too, is you know, whenever I started a project, I never went into the project with the idea of I'm gonna do this, 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 and this. I saw it for what it was. It was a blank piece of paper. And I'm gonna let the paper come to me 
based on who I'm designing this product for. So I had to become that person. Um, and, but I always started empty. I, I never took for granted what I had to do. I always started empty. So when you see me come up freeze, or you'll be one of those seven MCs. They think that I'm a new jack, but only if they knew that. They who think wrong, or they who can't do that style that I'm doing, they might ruin. Patterns and paragraphs based on you and your RBDJ. If anything he play sound familiar, I'll wait to E say play him. So I'ma have to diss who broke. You can get a smack for this. I ain't no joke. Uncertainty, which is a word that's percolated up now in our culture a lot, is a very unsettling place, right? But it's also, and people like you know this, an incredibly creative place. Yes. And to brave going into uncertainty is to open up the possibility of discovery in a way that you could never get in a kind of preordained or some vision that you're simply manifesting or executing. Again. Absolutely agree. I, th I think as, as bad as people said 2020 was for them personally or professionally, it was probably one of the most creative years I've ever had for that exact reason. I was, we were all forced to do things that we weren't comfortable with. We were all forced to do things that we weren't normally used to doing, but those who are creative are, were the ones that are going to survive and thrive. And to me, that was probably one of my most creative years was just I had to reset. And that resetting of what creativity is and, and what I wanted to do and how I was going to do it, starting all over again, it allowed me to reintroduce myself to, to, my, to creativity and and how to do things in a way that will better prepare me and the people that I work with for 2020 all over again. Great transition to my next question, and that is there you were, a thriving designer at Nike, working on this amazing brand. And you stopped and you said, I need to do something else. And you entered a place of deep uncertainty, I imagine, yeah. in your <laughs> in setting up pencil and I I want to invite you to talk about maybe explain to listeners what pencil is and what it's all about but how you moved from creating those and I th I'm paraphrasing you here creating those products to creating impact you know it was again going back to my 17 year old self and and thinking about my goal was to work at Nike when I was 17 like that's what I wanted to do but I got there Right. I, I got to a place where I didn't even dream that I would get to. And even though I was happy and, and creatively stimulated and you know, working with the best athlete on the planet and working with some amazing people, um, I felt like that wasn't it. Um, it wasn't enough for me because I started my 17 year old self started to show up in emails. And it was these kids that were emailing me. Because uh, you know, when you work at Nike, it's easy to figure out people's email addresses, you know, first dot last name, right? Um, and, and so these kids would email me and say, hey, you know, I, I want to be a footwear designer. What do I need to do? How, how can I get in? And that just kept tugging on me. Um, and, and so I started to respond and I started to meet these kids that were just like me when I was 17. And their, their whole existence was to be it to Nike or get to Jordan. And they had no pathway to get there. Um, and, and when I say exactly like me, black kids, no future of college, um, no pathway of how, to, how they're going to get into to the rest of society, let alone into college. And so I started to reach out to these kids and mentor them in addition to having four jobs at Nike. <laughs> um, and, but it was it was just a passion that was there that was a bit captive and it was unleashed. And, and that passion was the, the gift of giving back everything that I learned and sharing my journey into this industry with these kids who are now the new version of my 17 year old self. And so this, this idea of teaching and giving back was just a natural everyday high for me. And so I kept mentoring kids and, and helping them get into college. Um, once they were in college, helped them become interns at Nike. Uh, and then they eventually get a job at Nike. And just to be able to see a kid go through that cycle 
to to see the the look on their face, the the emails from their parents thanking me for giving their kids some guidance because they would have ended up in the wrong place. You know, that to me just reminded me why I got into this in the first place. And it was it was really that 17 year old moment when my mother told me that I could be anything I believed that I could be, you know, and excuse me, when um, when when someone shares with you that they believe more in you than you see in yourself and you believe them. I think that's the unlock to, to, to life. And I think that's the unlock to motivation and drive. And that feeling of when that moment when my mother brought me that, that believe card home from grocery shopping, every time a kid reached out to me and their parent reached out to me, this happened. Like, I, you know, I, I, I get emotional because that was me. You know, that, that was absolutely me. And, and so I wanted to keep that feeling of helping people um, because I didn't have that type of guidance when, when I needed it. I received it in other forms, but now I'm in a position to do this thing for someone like me that they don't have a shot. So my new chapter was really this idea of really giving back everything that I acquired um, because I, I really felt like it was the reason why I was blessed with the career that I had was to give it all back to people that needed it. So I, I had this idea of, of creating a, a shoe school because one didn't exist. And like I said, the, the internet is now <laughs> thriving and live and, and, and I'm seeing all these kids who want to do this thing that, that I didn't know that many people wanted to do. So I, I took a sabbatical at Nike and tried this idea of, of what it would a shoe school look like. And quite honestly, it was exactly what we talked about earlier. It was a learn by doing exercise. I, I taught the kids exactly the way I work. Um, it was only two weeks and it was about 14 hours every day straight. And, and these kids didn't want to leave. I mean, they were that addicted to it the same way I was addicted to it. And those two weeks were probably one of the best creative moments of my career because I fell back in love with design again. I didn't know how much the corporate side took away from me of the structure and the layers and the meetings and the business side of it. But when I was able to, to leave all of that and to be open and free to just share with no boundaries, I didn't want to leave that space that I, that I tapped back into. And, and so I did this, this one two week class. I called it pencil because that was the object that I've used all my, all my life. <laughs> um, even with the, with computers and, and everything else, I would still a piece of paper and a pencil was how I, I how I worked um, and how I still work to this day. And so once the class was over, Nike asked me to come back. And, and I came back, but I told them I was leaving. I said, I'm going to leave. And, and I wanted to do this full time um, because that was the emotion I wanted to keep. So I talked to my wife about it and super supportive. Her only comment was just make sure we have health insurance. <laughs> uh, if, if you could if you could do that, then then I'll, you could do whatever you want to do. And, and so um, it was just my introduction into this world of education. And it was really birthed out of just this idea of really wanting to help people fulfill a dream that, that they had and then help them see past that dream that they had. Because getting there won't be satisfactory enough for you. You're gonna need to have a plan to get there, but you're gonna have to have a plan while you're there and you're gonna have to have a plan of when you decide to leave there. Because at some point you will and just be prepared for those moments. And so a lot of what we try to do is to develop the kids as people as equally as we try to develop them as creatives because without the two of them, they won't be that successful. 
Yeah, here, here. Absolutely right. I want to talk about teaching in a second, but I just, for the listeners, 10 years later, how many graduates do you have out there right now um, from Pencil? Just, just over 500. Uh, wow. uh, working, wow. working. There's about 1,500, but over 500 are working as footwear designers today. Amazing. And uh, the revenue model you use to get that health insurance? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, uh, just just looking at education through a different lens, because I, I, I never was a part of the, the structure, I looked at it through a different lens or a lens that the student would want to look at it through. Um, I looked at it through the lens of the way a company would look at it. Um, and then I looked at it through the lens of the, the vendors would want to look at it. And so, you know, I started asking the kids, what do you want from school? And, you know, the, the first thing they said was free. <laughs> um, the second thing was, uh, how, how can I work with professionals and how can I work on the very exact thing that I want to do? Um, and then how do I get a job? Um, and then the companies were... You know, I want passionate kids, mature kids. I want kids who have a good sense of who they are and, and time management skills um, and then talent. Like talent was kind of towards the end. It was all these other soft skills that were ahead of the talent piece. And I was able to witness that, too. Um, and, and so what, what I wanted to do was was make it free because um, I wasn't able to go to design school and I, I want to level the playing field because we don't all have the same starting line. And, and if I can move the starting line so everyone's there and give everyone the same opportunity to start at the beginning, then the, the best will succeed, right? And, and so that's really the goal. And, and so that was what I told the companies is, look, you're the beneficiary of the talent. And you should be investing into that kid's future because they're going to make you money one day. And um, so the companies pay for all of our programming where the students come to Pencil for free. They work on projects for companies in real time in most cases. The, the companies see their work. Um, you know, I, I call Pencil a, a anywhere from a two to three month job interview because that's mm. what it is. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And so the, the companies pay for everything, not everything, but they, they pay for the, the student tuition and, and housing in most cases. Um, so the education is free for the student, but you have to earn your way in um, because it's not a pay model where I don't care how much money you have. If you're not the right type of person, I don't want you a part of the, the class. So for, for us, it's important to assemble a diverse class of people, um, geography, um, ethnicity, um, sex, we, we try to make sure the diversity is there because that's the reality of what they will be working with. You won't be working with a dominant race. You won't be working with a dominant sex. You won't be working with people from the same state or from the same country you're from. So we, we try to assemble our classes to have a reflective environment of what the corporate structure looks like in the U.S. I think um, the burning question I have in a way to wrap up our conversation here, because I think it touches into so many things that you've so generously shared with us today, it has to do with this whole question of teaching. And you are a dreamer indeed. And, you know, somebody who clearly feels the world in, in a very, very deep way, which I think must be such great nourishment to who you are as a creative soul. But I I'm curious about how that comes through in your teaching. I'm curious about who you are as a teacher. Because hmm. it strikes me that you are just a born teacher. At the end of the day, that's that's where all of Duane seems to come through. And I wondered if I could ask you to talk to me about that. Um, you know, I, I try to be consistent. Where if, if you see me on the street and you say hello, I'm going to say hello right back. If you want to have a conversation, we can have a conversation. I'm going to give you whatever you give me back. And I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give you more than what you give me. That's been my whole life: is people giving me a, a, a little bit of themselves, with the idea of hopefully seeing a lot more show up after that gift. So what? What I really, I guess, the way I see myself is is more of I'm just sharing who I am and my knowledge of what I've, what I have, but at the same time, I'm learning from them too, though. Right. So just as much as they think that they're coming to hang out with me and, and soak up my knowledge, I'm soaking up knowledge from them as well. So I create this exchange 
of emotions. It's, just, it's a, this exchange of talent, this exchange of ideas and creativity where I'm emotionally invested in, in every single one of our kids that come through our door. Um, because again, I see them as my 17 year old self and I treat them the same way where if, if you're, if you're half-assing it, I'm, I'm going to get on you. If, if you're killing it, I'm going to tell you, right? I'm going to be the same person. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the one that's going to cheer you on, to motivate you and to sit you down and have real conversations because sometimes the honesty doesn't always show up in these kids' lives that way, where it doesn't always show up in our lives, quite honestly. Right. You know, our family loves us, but they're the first one to lie to us emotionally, right? Where they'll be the first one to say, oh, baby, that's great. You know, you're doing good, right? Where it's like, that might not be true, <laughs> right? And, and so I think this, this generation more than ever needs people who are honest, to, honest with them and to be able to have a conversation with them, understanding what level of truth they can handle. Because you can't be the same way with everyone. So I have to first understand who they are as people to understand what makes them tick, what, what gets them going, what, what makes them sad. And then I need to craft the delivery in such a way where I understand how they will receive it. And sometimes it takes them years to understand what I was trying to explain to them. But like clockwork, they all come back to me, whether it's after our sessions are over or six months later or a year later or two years later. And they all say, thank you, because I didn't see. Now I see what you were trying to tell me ahead of time. Thank you. You know, the more I have time with you, the deeper is my admiration and affection. Thank you. I can't thank you enough for this conversation, for your inspiration. You are a great teacher. I learned a lot just from this, but our interactions have been very meaningful to me. Thank you for doing this, and thank you for sharing so generously with us today. No, thank you very much. Change Lab is produced out of Art Center College of Design. I'd like to thank our small but mighty production staff, producer Christine Spines, co-producer Luis Silva, editor Emily Van Bergen, and post-production supervisor and production consultant Christopher Olin. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more of it, please take the time to review and give us a star rating in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.